be to God forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, on, uh, on Tuesday is the feast of... Uh, uh, the Feast of the Dormition of the Theotokos, St. Mary's Feast, so Koloseno uh, Tfayubin. I don't know what that means in English, so just say it in English. Uh, well, my slides are coming up. Um, so I want to kind of go through some of the words of that, that title that we're going to do on Tuesday. Feast of the Dormition of the Theotokos. So the first word I want to talk about is the word Theotokos. Um, and what does that word mean? Uh, the, the loose translation, if you will, is the mother of God. Um, but in Arabic, it's actually a better translation, which is which means the birth giver of God or the person who bore God. And the difference is um, kind of subtle, but you know, if, if you ask my mom, my mom is the birth giver of Mark, but she's not the birth giver of Arch. Archie Mark, right? I became an Archie later. And so the reason we have this title Theotokos is because the, the, uh, the, uh, there's a heretic named Nestorius who's actually the patriarch of Constantinople, and he said that, that Jesus was born a regular human being, and that later he became God. And so then the church instituted this, this phrase, Theotokos, to say, no, he gave, she gave birth to God, right? And so that's why we use this word over and over in the uh, in the in the hymnology, and then we also added during that third council of uh, Ephesus, we added the introduction to the creed. So the creed was written in the first two councils, and then the third council we added the introduction. We exalt you, Mother, the true light, and we glorify you, Saint Theotokos. That first part was added, all that because of this dogmatic difference on on whether or not uh, Saint Mary gave birth to Christ, to to God, or just a regular human being. And so the Church always believes that she gave birth to. Uh, God and not just um, a regular human being. And then the next word I want to focus on is the word dormition. And the word dormition is literally to f is falling asleep. And to be sure, the church believes that St. Mary died. She died just like everyone else. Uh, and that she needed a savior just like everyone else did. Uh, and why is this important? Well, because in, in the history of the church at different times, there are some beliefs that said that she didn't die that she actually never died and that she ascended to heaven alive, right? This is the, uh, the, the beliefs that, that kind of uh, evolved in the Western church during different periods of time. And the Orthodox church always disagreed with this. Um, and our belief is that no matter how holy you are, how perfect you are, you still need a savior and everyone dies, including Christ. Um, and this was, by the way, changed, I think, in Vatican II, um, where they got rid of this, these, this language of St. Mary ascending to heaven and using the uh, something uh, language that we use so that her body, after she died, was taken by God up to heaven, but that she actually died just like the rest of us. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in a bit, but the issue with that, why, why this is so important, is because if she doesn't die, then she's not like us. And it's very important that she be like us in every way like us. And so sometimes uh, during the history of the, of the church, different groups have tried to magnify her in a certain way. They'll say, you know, she never had original sin, or she was immaculately conceived, or she was completely sinless and perfect, or that she never died. And all of those things make her different than us, 
right? They make her into some kind of robot person who doesn't have original sin and didn't need a savior and doesn't, doesn't die. But that's not what we believe. We believe she's very much a person, just like the rest of us, right? And she felt all the things we felt and all the things that we dealt with. Um, and that she entered into death with Christ, just like we're going to enter into death with Christ. And she put on that same death that Christ himself put on. Last thing, feast. No, not the last thing. The sermon's like an hour long, but the, the feast is the last word I want to focus on. We just read in, in uh, Acts how St. Paul was giving a sermon and then someone fell asleep and fell out of the window. Um, so, you know, there's that. Okay. Um, so this is something we do for all of the, all of the saints in the church, right? Uh, including St. Mary and Jesus. And it's kind of weird if you think about it, right? We celebrate people's deaths. That's an interesting thing, right? Uh, you know, back in, in 1983, when we added Martin Luther King to the list of national holidays, what did we add? His birthday, right? That's what no people do, right? In the world, you add birthdays. That's a happy thing, right? You don't add when he was assassinated. That's not the date we're going to remember, right? But in the church, we do the exact opposite, right? We add the day people died, you know, the, the 21 martyrs we remember a gruesome day where people put knives to throats and it was a horrendous thing and that's the day we remember and that's the day we celebrate. Why? Because as we think about death, we think about it in terms of resurrected death. We think about it in terms of life. We think about it in terms of passing from one state to the next. And so St. Mary's fast fits into that category because just like we said, she truly died and she was truly carried to Christ. Right? If you look at that icon, you can see Christ is carrying a baby. He's carrying someone. Who's he carrying? He's carrying her. So that's her soul. Right? And so in the icon, it depicts him retrieving, you know, um, receiving her when she goes to heaven. And ultimately, this is what we all want, right? We want to be like that little baby. We want to be in Christ's arms when we pass from this world to the next, right? So that's the, that's the objective. And so St. Mary becomes for us the quintessential Christian. She becomes the model. She becomes the person we all emulate, like kind of the, the first person to sort of go through this path and we can watch how it plays out and we can learn from her and we can associate ourselves with her and be like her in every way. So her feast on Tuesday celebrates her for sure, but it's also a feast for all of us, right? Um, because it reflects all of us. She reflects all of us, right? And we have all this hymnology where we talk about her as the first, first, um, first fruits and the, the pride of the humans. And it's like we've offered her as the, the best of us, but yet she's part of us right? And she's one of us, and yet God accepted her uh, to use her the way he did. And so this is a Byzantine icon of the same thing, and in, in, the, in the same part of that uh, icon where he's holding her soul, he's in an, uh, an almond-shaped thing. It's actually called a, a vesica Pisces, which literally means the gallbladder of the fish, but that's not important. What is is, every time we see that vesica Pisces in an icon, it depicts a sacred moment. It depicts something that transcends time and space, something you can't see in the real world, right? So you can see her body, you can see the apostles gathered around her, um, 
uh, as you know, after she passed. But what you don't see, the part that's the 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 the, the, the portal, if you will, is in the in the almond-shaped thing. It's the it's her it's him accepting her soul back to to him, and she's held in his arms just like a little baby, right? A little baby wrapped in swaddling clothing. And the question is, what does this remind you of? A little baby wrapped in swaddling clothing, right? It's, it's kind of the same look, if you will. It's very similar to the nativity icon with her holding him in her arms. And so in the icon of St. Mary's death and this glorification, it's sort of the reverse of the, of the nativity, of the incarnation, right? So Jesus is holding her in the exact same way. And so at some level, it, it sort of finishes a bit of a cycle. She gave him his flesh, and then after she passed away, he took her soul and he took her flesh up to heaven, right? So it, it, he accepted her soul and he wrapped it, um, in, in, the, in the iconography at least, in that swaddling clothing, and he received her soul. So what is this icon? So yesterday was the Feast of the Transfiguration. And the, in the Friday Theotokei that I have up there, it says he, um, he took what is ours and gave us what is his. So what is this icon? Any, look familiar to anyone? That's the icon of Jesus breathing into Adam's face. He's giving him the Holy Spirit. Right? So this is the creation of man. And what do you notice about Jesus and Adam? They look the same. Right? Adam is in the image and likeness of Christ. So Christ is giving him his image and his likeness. And ultimately, this is everything we are called to be and called to do. Right? St. Irenaeus says, Christ became everything that we are so that we, be, we could become everything he is. Right? So this is our objective as Christians. Right? We're called to be like him. And we become divine by grace. Of course, we're not God. Were mortals, and St. Mary was a mere mortal as well, but she became divine by the grace of God, and she shows us our future. She shows us what it looks like to, to be with Christ and to die with Christ. And that's what we do. We celebrate her death, her resurrection, but most importantly, we celebrate her life in Christ and our future. So in this icon, you can see that she's clearly dead. And the church insists that she has fallen asleep. But it's a deathless death. It's a death that's a passage into life. There's a beautiful ancient hymn that says, in giving birth, you preserved your virginity, and in falling asleep, you were translated into life. So she went into death with Christ, and she trampled down death by death. right? And so that's why it's so important for us that she be a normal person. Now, regarding her death, and this is the, the point I kind of want to focus on in, the, in, the, in the, the rest of the sermon, is that there's no record that she was ever killed or martyred or tortured. In fact, we don't have very much information about St. Mary. If you go to Ephesus, there's a house there that uh, many people claim is her house that she lived in um, with uh, St. John the Baptist, or sorry, St. John the Evangelist. Um, and we have these little bits of information about St. Mary's life, but one thing we know about her was that she was kind of like the mom of the apostles, right? So she was always there in the background, but that she would, they would come to her when they sort of needed advice and they needed counsel. She was there. She was this very strong, deep, thoughtful, prayerful presence 
right, in their lives. And she didn't speak much, she didn't preach much, but she was always there. And I want to kind of come back to that in a little bit. But one thing we do know about St. Mary is that she suffered. She suffered a lot. There's a story about St. Macarius. He was once in ecstasy in prayer. He sort of just, you know, was in ecstasy. And when he returned back to normal, his disciples asked him, you know, where did you go? And he said, I want you to tell no man, but I was standing next to St. Mary at the cross while Christ was being crucified. And he said, oh, if only I could weep that way. And so he said he was next to her and he watched her weep at the cross. And I want to give you a, a quote that I want to reference a few more times. St. Siloam says, the greater the knowledge, the greater the love. The greater the love, the greater the suffering. And so let's think about that for a little bit. The greater the knowledge, the greater the love. No one knew him like his mom. No one knew Christ like his mom. She was the person who raised him. She was the person who taught him. In fact, in the, in the hymns of the church, we say, you gave the word of God his words. You taught him how to speak. When he fell and scraped his knees, she's the one who comforted and hugged him. When he had problems at school with the other kids, she was the one who told him how to talk and how to act. Right? She's the one who gave him his communication skills. She's the one who gave him his ability to cope with other people. She's the one who taught him how to interact with others. She taught him how to be a human being. She gave him everything. Right? So she was his mom. So she, no one knew him like she knew him, which means no one loved him like she loved him. In fact, she knew things about him that you know, none of us knew and none of us know why. Right? I mean, remember the very first miracle. What was the very first miracle? It was the, the water and the wine, right? And no one knew what was going to happen, but Mary did. She says, do whatever he says. She knew he could do something. So obviously he had done stuff. She knew he could do things, right? So she knew him, and she loved him. And because of that, no one suffered like she suffered. And not just at the cross. Mary is not the great exception. She's the great example. She was not exceptionally conceived without human seed. She's not conceptual that she, uh, exceptional that she didn't die. It's just the opposite. She's the example of all of us. She suffers just like all of us do. And she exemplifies the Christian life because ultimately in the Christian life, there is difficulty. There is suffering. There is pain. And even St. Mary was not shielded from that pain by God. Every once in a while, we think to ourselves, you know, if I pray it, God will take the pain away. But we, when we look back at the life of St. Mary, even his own mother was not shielded from all the suffering that she went through because of him. And we th start thinking about that, that suffering. It manifests in so many different ways. Right? Our prayers aren't meant to remove suffering. They're not meant to remove the human condition. They're not meant to remove death. That's not what prayers are about. And so here we see in her this ideal Christian struggling, dealing with all of the difficulties she had with her son. And, and you start imagining the ways she suffered. Because it's one thing to be killed, 
to suffer, to be persecuted, but it's quite another to watch your son get persecuted, suffer, and get killed. I mean, we all know as parents, oh, that breeze feels good. Um, we all know that as parents that when something affects our children, we get very affected, right? And that matters a lot to us. You know, you can go after me at work, you can go after me at wherever, at school, but when you go after my kid, you know, mama bear comes out, right? And the gloves come off and, and you're like, that's my kid, you know? And, and dads are very much the same way, not as much though, but, right? And so watching, watching St. Mary deal with the suffering of her son is harder, isn't it, right? You can imagine if, if one of our youth here started, you know, doing a bunch of stuff that he shouldn't be doing or she shouldn't be doing right? Can you imagine what we would do about that? What would we do in a normal, you know, normal Coptic church? Well, we would gossip about him, right? We would gossip about the parents. We would say, you know, they didn't know how to raise their kids. They're, they have a bad boy, right? And did you find out, did you hear that Emba Sarapion hates this kid? And the priests of the church hate this kid. Did you hear that the priests of the church and the bishops kick this kid out of the church, what a bad kid. Who's his mom again? Mary? She must be a bad mom. Right? So you can imagine in that community when Christ was kicked out of the synagogue and it said that anyone who followed him was also kicked out of the synagogue, how much backlash that came to St. Mary? How, much, how many stares did she get, you know, did she get when she was in the marketplace? Aren't you the mother of that guy who causes all the trouble? Isn't that, isn't that your son? You know what they call him? They call him a troublemaker. In fact, they call him a devil. In fact, one time I heard they're called, he's called the prince of devils. Isn't that your son? And she had to deal with that shame. And the confusion she must have felt because she's watching him heal people, do all these great things, do all these miracles. And then all of a sudden they, they, they arrest him. And she must have thought to herself, oh, no, no, this isn't going to stick, right? He's going to pull a rabbit out of his hat. He's going to do some miracle, right? Something's going to happen, and he's going to, you know, not get arrested. And then he gets arrested. And then they're going to beat him and whip him. And she's like, no, 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 this is not going to happen. He heals people. He, he'll fix this. And all of a sudden, he's really bloody, close to death. And she's watching, thinking, what is, what's going on? We had visions, we had wise men, we had stars and shepherds come, well, angels appeared, we, we had stuff happen. And then they say they're gonna kill him. And she thinks to himself, there's no way, he's raised people from the dead. He's not gonna, he's not gonna they're not gonna go through with it, it can't happen, watch this. He's gonna take that cross and just phew, and nothing happened. And then they put him up on the cross, which, you know, as some of you know, it's a very long, painful process, right? This isn't a half-hour deal. When you get crucified, it's an eight-hour deal. And even the two thieves were telling him, once you come down, you do stuff, right? Come down and take us down with you. And she watched and waited for him to come down from the cross, and instead all she saw was her son suffer for hours. And she thought, there's no way he's going to die, and then he dies. And she thought, no, something's got to happen. And then she had to sit in it for three days, didn't she? She had to watch him dead. He didn't just come back. She had to go through all the, the stages of grief. She, she had disbelief. She had anger. I'm sure she went through all of the emotions. Her son, who had done nothing wrong, was just killed by a group of hypocrites. 
and liars and people are just jealous and evil and everyone knows it. So she went through all of that pain. And so in her suffering, I see my suffering. I see my life. I see all the difficulties that I go through. She was not immune to any of them. Even being his mom doesn't make her immune to any of them. It doesn't make any of us immune to suffering. And we see that even especially in the lives of the saints. All the saints suffered. All the saints had that pain. And that's why Saint Mary to us is this mom. The mom who comforts. The mom who gets it. The mom who knows what we've been through. That's why we pray to her the way we do. That's why we ask her to help us the way we do. Because we look at her and we say, you're like us and you get what happened. You get the pain we went through. And you went through it and you died and you're in Christ's arms, hoping, all of us hoping that we're like that someday. And so this love that she had for Christ, that she then showed for the Pharisees, that she then showed for all the people that killed her son, that she then showed for the entire world, is a love we have to emulate. All right, I'll, I'll skip that other part. Okay, last thing I'll say. We fast for two weeks for St. Mary's. We prepare for this feast, sorry, by fasting for two weeks. It's a time to reflect on her characteristics and on the characteristics we need to have, her suffering. But it's not a fast for her. She doesn't need us to fast for her. And we don't believe in a system of works where we do things and then she gives us stuff, a quid pro quo system. Right? And every once in a while we'll see fasting done in this way. I'm going to fast and I'm going to do a whole bunch of things because I really need a new car and I really need it to get pregnant, or I really need my son to get into medical school. So I'm going to do all this fasting. In fact, I'm going to fast extra fasting. I'm going to not eat fish, and I'm going to not have oil, and I'm going to do it three weeks instead of two, and I'm going to just do a whole bunch of things, hoping to get what I really want, because what I really want is my son to get into medical school. That's my primary objective. And I'm just going to kind of use St. Mary, because I know she does stuff, to get me there. We have to be careful of our motivations, right? And then unfortunately, when we do all that stuff and then we don't get what we wanted, we get upset, don't we? We turn on God. We turn on St. Mary. We turn on the church. We turn on the clergy and we say, you know what, I did all that stuff, none of it happened. None of it happened the way you said it was gonna happen. You know, I put my dollar in the vending machine and no candy bar came out. And so uh, what happens when we fast in this way is we end up turning on God. We start hating. Right? So we have to be careful in the way we fast. It's a time to think about the other kingdom, not this kingdom. It's a time to think about the kingdom Christ established, to think about us being in Christ's arms when we pass away and her characteristics and her beauty of how she got there. And glory be to God forever. Amen.